Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've decided to give me a small amount of your time this week as we continue to explore the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. Today, we'll look at stakeholder engagement, a skill central to the success of any government or public sector communicator. And we'll talk to one of Australia's leading experts in the field. But before I introduce her to you, we start, as we do each week, with the definition of content marketing as it relates to government and the public sector. Content marketing is a strategic, measurable and repeatable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to my guest today, Rachel Sweeney is the director of her own agency, Collective Position, a communication and stakeholder relations company based in Melbourne, Australia. Rachel studied public relations with a politics major at Deakin University before starting a career in government and stakeholder relations. She's worked on two major rail infrastructure projects in Victoria, and I'm really looking forward to talking to her about that. And... She has also been a major award winner back in 2010 and also in 2013. She joins me now. Rachel, thanks very much for joining me in Transition. Thank you very much for having me. Rachel, let's talk stakeholder engagement, a topic that's really central to the effectiveness of of any government communicator. What, What do you need to get it right um, I mean, I think that's a really good question. One of the things that um, we do at Collective Position, and, and I think one of the things that um, I've done pretty much my entire career working in the stakeholder space, is obviously um, you really need to know who your stakeholders are. Now, that might sound quite obvious to a lot of people, but I guess the reality is that not all stakeholders present themselves um, equally and not all stakeholders are, I suppose, as transparent as other stakeholders are. So how do so, you go how do you go about finding all of the stakeholders and then how do you map them in terms of their their influence um, sometimes it's relatively easy. So um, usually you find on quite contentious um, projects and those that are um, obviously causing a major shake-up um, in a particular location or on a, on, on a particular issue, they do rise to the surface quite quickly. So particularly from a government's point of view, one of the easiest ways to do that is to actually um, launch an inquiry of some sort, um, run a submission process and then communicate that out through various channels, including media is always a good space. Um, but if if it isn't as um, contentious or if it isn't as um, high profile, then usually we do a lot of desktop research. And that is, you know, getting online, spending, you know, um, a good half day, sometimes, you know, a good um, couple of days, just searching through different, um, doing keyword searches around different issues. And you'll be surprised, obviously, about what will come to the service. Social media is obviously making that really easy these days. So, um, you know, the use of hashtags, the use of um, 
campaigns that are running with different issues, um, you can sort of cut to the chase and find people fairly quickly. And of course, you know, and one of the most prevalent ways to um, access stakeholders is to access through the, the access them through uh, peak bodies as well, because they obviously have good relationships with the people that they represent. Now, not all stakeholders are created equally. So, how do you go about judging who is and who isn't? a key and important stakeholder that has to be managed? Um, Again, a good question. It really depends on the issue at hand. So I suppose when it comes to massive changes in government policy, um, usually the first person or the first group of stakeholders that you would seek to um, engage are those that are actually directly impacted by any of those changes. So, um, you know, if there's an issue that's currently underway, and there is one issue that we're working on at the moment, where um, a particular stakeholder may be accessing a certain form of government support, and the government is seeking to change that support. So, um, if you're not directly engaging with those, firstly, um, that's not considered um, a good mechanism of public Public policy, you should actually be engaging quite um, directly with those people to understand how that change is going to impact them and um, and work through that stakeholder with any changes. Additionally, to um, you know, if you're actually working with a, a peak body or a representative group, and these days what you start to see quite a lot of is informal alliances that come together. So when an issue emerges, people generally work themselves together in some sort of group, whether it be um, a residence group, whether it be um, an industry group that's not an official peak body, whether it be interested and impacted stakeholders, they generally work themselves into some sort of um, informal alliance and sometimes they formalise that alliance. And so um, then you can start to, I guess, negotiate and engage with directly with that alliance. And, and naturally, um, people do tend to rise to the top. So some good negotiators do tend to rise to the top of those groups, whether or not they be do, um, formal or informal alliances. But it's also very important, as we all know, the the squeaky wheel does tend to get the oil. It's also very important to try and seek views outside of those um those really boisterous and sometimes, um, you know, very loud stakeholders because there's there are sort of those people who tend to be less engaged on issues, maybe because they're not they don't necessarily see any changes as being um, going to impact them negatively or positively. They don't really see the change anyway, and that is a view that you really want to make sure that you're understanding as well and the reasons for that. What. What do you do about people who you know are going to be antagonistic early? Is there anything that you can do to manage them to take the edge off their impact in terms of the development of a policy or a program or a you know service, you know, perhaps even a regulation? Look, I, I have certainly found and um, I suppose I've worked um, both on as though as a person who is engaging around a particular issue and I've also worked as someone who is being engaged on a particular issue. And what I've found on being on both sides of the fence is that nobody likes surprises. Um, Now, generally, I have found being on the other side of the fence that... um, 
that can actually be a really big thing for governments in particular. Um, the, the political process and also the departmental bureaucratic process doesn't always allow, in my opinion, for really solid and true engagement around particular issues because there is concern about how things are obviously going to be perceived. But um, one of the, 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 the key things that we like to do is to try and not you know, create any surprises for people. But is that changing, that notion of okay, we don't really want to have a genuine discussion. And the reason that I suggest to you that perhaps it's changing is given that everyone is now carrying around, uh, you know, a, a megaphone in their pocket that they can activate and they can have conversations about any particular topic that they might like to have a conversation about. And they don't really need the platforms of the organisations who might be seeking to control or debate a particular issue and they can, in fact, have these conversations wherever they like to have them. Well, I think that's right and I think it's changing to various degrees. I think sometimes um, governments in particular try to still leverage that amount of control and I think it's interesting the way that you pose the question to how do we actually manage stakeholders. I don't like to use the term sort of stakeholder management um, as much anymore because largely people will do what people are going to do. And the best way that I have found to engage with people is to get in early, try and limit surprises as much as possible, but also to, I think it's really important to um, to try and have that authenticity around the engagement um, process as well. If you treat all stakeholders equally in the provision of information and also um, not necessarily access to different sorts of formats, but some people will never be satisfied with the process of change that you're going through. Um, some people will be able to, I suppose, be um, worked through the issues and, and you can uh, negotiate some of the terms of those um those changes that may be seeking to occur. And sometimes people actually don't really want a high level of engagement. But if you're providing a high level of information to lots of different sets of stakeholders in an equal and I think in a very transparent way, you, it's not necessarily that you're managing those stakeholders, but what you're actually doing is giving them the opportunity to, in a respectful way, to respond to you as they see they need to. And as I said, not everyone's going to be happy with um, particular changes, but as long as you're treating them with respect and also with an equal measure of um, transparency and provision of information, you know, you're not um, trying to manage them in any way, but you are, in fact, trying to deal with their issue in a meaningful and, I think, authentic way. How comprehensive do you have to be in terms of the delivery of that information? Um. Look, I genuinely have found as the um, the world becomes really fast paced with the you know the the sorts of information that you can find online, and it's you know a bit of a a flick process sometimes. People aren't really um, engaging with information as they should. Um, so that is actually one of the biggest challenges that we find that often you want to give people information about certain things, but um, but they, they're not willing to engage with it. So sometimes all you can really, we try very simply to provide information to people in the first instance. And then as they seek to have um, more information, then the ability to provide that through, you know, maybe one-to-one -one consultations or group consultations or um 
maybe in the provision of more uh, detailed paperwork is often, um, you know, a good way to go about those sorts of things. But I think initially the best way you can actually do it is try and simplify everything for them but really impress upon them that um, their opportunity to, to engage with you around this particular issue if they feel that they need to. Now, some people want everything. They want to, the, the full box and dice, they, they really want to sort of get down to the nitty gritty of that. And sometimes the reason that they want that is they're trying to change your um, your project. They're trying to stop your project. They're trying to, um, you know, catch you out. It's a bit of, um, sometimes you get a bit of that with stakeholders too. They're, they're trying to actually um, work with you so that they can actually put your project on hold and, and so that nothing will actually change. But mostly people, I think, genuinely want to understand what the impact is on them and how and where they might be able to contribute to that process. And I, I genuinely think that if um, not in every single case, because as I said, sometimes people, no matter what you do to engage with them, they're only um, the only way that they will be satisfied around certain things is if that the whole project or the issue stops in its tracks and, and nothing changes. So they're not going to, they don't want to see any progress on, on that issue. But nine times out of ten, um, the better part of, of the stakeholder set is actually, I suppose, um, open to discussing the issues and how they may be able to contribute or shape that that um, either policy change or project um, in a meaningful way that um, tries to limit the impact on them. Um, but also can can see the project continue. But how do you deal with people who don't want to engage and who are, you know, recalcitrant and just want to object? Well, uh, with the way that we have always done that, and let's be honest, um, we can't control that necessarily um, anymore. It's exactly as you said. They will always find um, like people around them and they they generally do have the opportunity to sort of seek out their own and, you know, create a mega throne through social media. But largely all you can really do is provide them with the information and the opportunity to um, engage with the issue at hand. So, um, I mean... You know, there's been some really big infrastructure projects that have actually um, needed to occur because otherwise the system, um, whatever it be, road, rail, um, you know, really large sort of um, telecommunications projects and things like that, if these projects don't continue, then Australia as a nation or a city won't be able to grow. And unfortunately, there are those um, projects that exist, especially if they are occurring in a, a, a brownfield site where change is going to be the face of that city, you know, over the next however many years. You know, we've got massive growth in Australia and so those projects will need to continue to occur. I think um, there are always going to be those cohorts of people who are absolutely against any change in their particular circumstances, which, you know, largely um, has a greater disbenefit to, you know, the wider sort of population. Now, people should engage with those people in a, in a fair and in transparent um, and in an open manner, um, providing them the same information that they would provide everyone else um, and making sure they have an opportunity, you know, to speak directly to those people who they believe they want to get the information from, whether it be a project engineer or whether or not it might be, you know, an environmental person within a group, um, 
in an organisation so that, you know, some people feel very empowered in a process speaking to an expert. Um, and I think those things should be facilitated. But having said that too, there are going to be those people who will never be convinced. Um, but as long as you're able to deal with those people in that sort of respectful manner and try and still open those doors for them to influence the process, then the, the project, you know, as they say, the project must go on. Um, but it's about how we can do that with a limit, limited um, impact as possible on those stakeholders, particularly, you know, um, where they're directly impacted you know, through a provision of the infrastructure. So what's your experience then of running consultation processes, engagement processes, and that important link with the elected officials' office? How do you manage that quite complex relationship, given that, you know, elected officials like to get elected and they don't like to upset too many people? Um. Well, I suppose the best way that I can answer that is probably from being on the other side of the fence. So I've spent the better part of my career, obviously, in an advocacy space. So we're engaged by organisations to um, manage processes of change, but also to drive processes of change inside government. Um, and so obviously there's two key stakeholders in that process. You know, there is the, the elected officials and there's also the bureaucracy attached to that. Um I've often found that there is a, a tenuous process that exists between dealing with, you know, the elected um, officials and then also dealing with the departments themselves. So the departments are obviously put in place to deliver policy and one of the key things that we always make sure we're doing when we're trying to drive a process of change is to keep those people that will be responsible for delivering any new projects or any new policies um, informed of, of what the, the changes that we're seeking. We try and get feedback from them around um, the, the the detail of, of any challenges associated with that and also, you know, how they see the benefit of those particular changes that we're seeking as well. And we've also obviously been on the other side where departments have engaged directly with us to understand any impacts of those things. The political process is obviously something different and I think personally that it should be. Um, you know, the, the bureaucracy is in place to deliver government policy and as such, you know, it needs to do the things that it's um, instructed to do. Whereas politicians, you know, are obviously in place to represent their their communities and, um, and sets of... Um, sets of stakeholders associated with those communities as well. And so you can have a very different conversation um, with uh, political advisors and also ministers themselves about the impacts and the need for change in a way that is um, going to impact the um, community and your particular um, client that you're actually representing. And I guess what I mean when I say that is... Um, Sometimes I find that the bureaucracy is not very interested in the the thoughts and the feelings and the processes attached to those things. You know, the the um, the social impact as much as the economic impact. Whereas um, I find that politicians are much more open to sort of understanding the wider community um, impact around some of those decisions and policies that they may make as well, because they live in these communities and because um, they understand that certain things are you know, are needed where the, sometimes not always, but, you know, there has been opportunities to do these things where maybe the, the sheer economics of a process hasn't necessarily stood up, but you can see that the, the wider community benefit will be there. 
So just going back to a couple of those big rail projects that you that you worked on, what were some of the things that surprised you perhaps going into those um, stakeholder engagement processes that you, you didn't anticipate at the beginning of the project? Um, I, I think one of the things uh, – I should actually explain too that um, – I came into both of the projects that I worked on um, when they were sort of really um, in train. And I think one of the things that surprised me a little bit, and maybe it shouldn't have been as surprising, but, um, and maybe this goes a bit to the, there's been, you know, a lot of talk about over consultation and things like that, but maybe people weren't as informed about the changes that are about to occur within their own um, backyard. So it seemed that a lot of consultation had occurred before, you know, um, the, the first sod was actually turned and that's when people's minds switched to the fact, oh, my gosh, this this actually might impact me. Mm. And I think that is the biggest challenge for, for infrastructure projects in particular and big, big changes is it's a busy, we all live busy lives. Um, you can, you know, advertise about um, the need to come down and have a chat to people prior to a project kicking off. But it's it seems like there is a lot of shock to with people where, you know, you know, opportunity yeah. has been given. Nobody to told me. And then obviously nobody told me and yet <laughs> it's quite clear that, you know, they'd had opportunities to be involved. Um, I believe that, you know, um, and, and we see it sometimes, you know, with our own clients as well. You can see an issue burning um, in the in the future and the client's willingness to engage around that particular issue so that you can be ready to deal with, you know, the change that's coming up, that you can be informed about, you know, how you're going to engage with the government around this particular process and even doing the thinking that's going to be required to to really meaningfully engage with that change. Their appetite to do that is not always very high. So it might surprise some people that even though, you know, as a professional um, advocate and someone who obviously can can see, you know, lots of changes on the horizon, sometimes convincing clients that they need to, to, to act today to deal with the challenges of the future tomorrow um, with things that you know are coming down the pipeline because either you've been told, so government have done the right thing, they're trying to... Um, keep you informed of possible changes that might be afoot. Um, and then suddenly something is announced and the scramble begins to how we're going to respond to that issue when, you know, you've been probably advising those clients a, a, along the way that they need to be ahead of this one. And I think it's the same, you know, I think it's the same on infrastructure projects as well that, um, you know, that is, I see the biggest challenge that, um, you know, people want to start to engage with the process when a lot of decisions have already been made and they may have had the opportunity to contribute to that decision-making process. But, you know, the ball's almost moved on, if you like, and um, and now, you know, they, they can, can obviously still contribute in another way, but it's just not the way that they want to do that. But the time for having that conversation has passed. But that that's a really interesting and I think probably universal problem, isn't it, that trying to get people's attention in this hyper-busy, hyper-distracted 
I can look at whatever I feel like I want to look at from anywhere in the world through any channel on any device at any time. So how, what's your advice to people in terms of the shaping of a story and the timing of the story and the presentation of the story? Do you, do you have to be dramatic? Do you have to? How, how do you make it compelling? How do you make, get people's attention? Well, I think also being again to sort of have seen it both sides of the fence, um, and this you know is not the case in every infrastructure project, but you know certainly things that I've seen both from inside and outside of government is the need to possibly overcomplicate the message in the first instance. You know, the fear of getting something wrong and the fear of um, being slammed by the media, which is real um, and which happens, you know, all the time, but that fear of reputation management versus, you know, the fear of actually just trying to simply engage people so that they understand quite clearly and simply that this is actually going to impact them, um, that those things almost work against each other. So the need to sort of really be so um, pristine in in the way in which a media outlet might represent an issue versus, you know, the need to be really gritty with people about what the impending changes are, they, they do often work against each other. But it was funny that you say that. So listening to um, the radio this morning and um, listening to... Uh, the um, I think it was the governor of Florida talking about the impending storm that's about to move through their state. He was very clear, and it's probably one of the first times I've heard, you know, a really clear statement out from um, from elected representatives. If you do not get out and and into a shelter, you will die. You know, there's no there was no any two ways about it. And the idea that you know to be really firm and frank with people so that they understand implicit. Um, nature of of what is coming down the pipeline to them is is a really hard challenge. But as much as possible as communicators, I think it's our role to push back on you know engineers and and, um, and push back on on um, senior people within um, a project to say you know when they want to overcomplicate things and where they want to you know try and take the edge off of certain things. I think it's really important to say you know if we don't deal with this now and be really clear and frank and you know um, open with people about what's going to happen so we can try and get you know, the, um, their feedback into this process now, we are going to be dealing with this challenge down the track. We're going to be having this conversation with them, but it's going to be in six or eight months' time and, unfortunately, we won't be able to do anything about it then. Mm. Yeah. So I... It's, I don't think, uh, you know, I think most communicators who would be listening to this have had that, that challenge. I think we all deal with that, um, that need to sort of, you know, water things down to a saline, really sort of, very sort of um, non-meaningful statement about yeah. something for fear of being, you know, caught out or um, criticised in the media is a constant challenge and it's a fine balancing act. Um, but maybe as time goes on, the imperative to to be more clear with people and, you know, and I can start to see things like that occurring now, um, you know, and I think people have learnt the lesson of not engaging early. Um, and not engaging in a meaningful and transparent way, um, you know, I think that there's absolutely no doubt that people see the, the benefit of that, I think, but it's still one of those tensions that exist. Now, one of the big transformations or one of the big benefits of the transformation driven by 
technology is that we can all now be uh, in the media business. We can create our own video, audio, stills, text, graphics, and there are multiple um, online and offline channels that we can use. How are you seeing content or what is the role of content these days in terms of running successful stakeholder engagement? Um, I think there's a million different platforms out there that people can use. I mean, there's obviously the big social ones, but again, you know, um, I really think it comes down to making content meaningful for people and keeping it as simple as possible. Um, I, I think as, as all communicators have probably had this challenge and it and continues to be one of those is when you have, say, a massive environmental impact statement or a really complicated engineering project um, and you're trying to distill that down to very sort of uh, simple statements that don't really always um, reflect the wider sort of um, work that's being done on, on in that space. That is a challenge, but also it's a worthy one to engage with. But also one of the things I'm starting to see too is um, the willingness of people to get into the detail a little bit as well once they realise the issue is is impacted is impacting them. And so um, you know. <laughs> You know, a lot of people don't want to make reports available. A lot of people, a lot of organisations don't want to allow people to engage around the detail because they feel like that is going to be a problem for them down the track in in keeping things, um, you know, a project moving forward. Now, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that mostly people can get access to these reports Um through either FOI processes or through other processes in which um, they might find a friendly stakeholder on the inside or something like that. So nine times out of ten, you've really got to engage with those people in a, a simple way to try and, you know, set the tone, if you like, um, set the message for them and set set um, their understanding of the project up initially before it becomes a game of Chinese whispers. Um, but then where, where people are willing to engage in and around the detail, I, I'm a believer in making that stuff available to people. Um, and also, importantly, where those people aren't going to necessarily have um, the skill set to understand what is being presented to them, to in, to sit down with them and walk them through what's being presented in, in the report as well. Um, you know, I think the worst thing that can happen is when people just put these massive reports up online and they don't bridge the the gap between, you know, a really simple message about something but also trying to work through some of the detail with them and people make up their own assumptions about what they're reading um, and misinterpret what's what's there on the page. So that is actually my belief is that is where the stakeholder comes in. That's where you move away from straight communication into really engaging with someone in that two-way communication that is actually a meaningful and transparent and authentic process. All right, Rachel, well, thank you so much for giving up some of your time today to, to spend with the audience to discuss what is often complex, um, rarely simple, um, off, often challenging, and I, I think people listening 
uh, today would have got a lot from um, the examples that you used and the advice that you've given. I think there's quite a bit in that that we can take away and incorporate into the next stakeholder engagement process because I think um, as the world changes, as people become more informed, more aware, more active, the need um, for high-quality stakeholder engagement is going to be central to any effective government or public sector organisation. So thank you very much. Now, listen, if people would like to get in contact with you to have a conversation about how you might be able to assist them, what's the best way to uh, to catch you? Uh, if they just uh, jump onto our website, collectiveposition.com, and, and just type in collective position and it'll come up through um, Google and um, we'd be happy to help with uh, anything that they require in that space. Fantastic. Well, Rachel, thank you very much. And to you, audience, thanks once again for turning up uh, to listen to in, in Transition and to understand just exactly a little bit more perhaps about the role that content can play in stakeholder engagement. Because as I said before, as channels proliferate, as capacity, people's skills improve, there is a big opportunity to use content in our storytelling so that we can inform, we can engage, and we can bring people along on the journey of explaining just exactly why it is we're taking those positions. So thank you once again. Um, Please that you did join me this week. And for this week, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.